Welcome to another Growth Masters Federal podcast on growing your business in the federal sector. Your host is Shirley Collier, president and founder of Scale to Market. Scale to Market helps businesses think, plan, collaborate, and prosper in the federal marketplace by developing and executing customized, comprehensive, data-driven business development playbooks. Experienced business owners and managers are well aware that bringing technical expertise, project management, and client relationship skills into the business development and sales process can be immensely effective in enhancing close rates and winning contracts. But the perceived drawbacks, technical people hate to sell, they're not good communicators, they're terrible at estimating and pricing, the revenue lost when they're not billing, and on and on and on, make them reluctant to blur those lines. On the other hand, it's common knowledge that service people carry the primary responsibility for retaining existing clients, for upselling new services to those clients, and for establishing and maintaining the firm's reputation. And it's those exact skills that can make them excellent BD team members. Shirley sorts out the challenges and explores the model for success with her guests, Corey Rubling, a BD manager with an engineering firm in Baltimore that has embraced the seller-doer model, and Jillian Breeden, a professional engineer who made the transition herself into the seller-doer role and who now runs her own consulting and professional services firm in Washington, D.C. And now here's your host, Shirley Collier, with her guests, Corey Rubling and Jillian Breeden. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. Shirley here. I have two guests today to help me explore a topic that many professional services firms struggle with, and that is business development. Most small businesses especially turn to the seller-doer model, but struggle with its implementation. Well, my guests have extensive practical experiences using this model in the architecture and engineering worlds. Corey Rubling is the Business Development Manager at BKM in Baltimore, and Jillian Breeden is the Founder and President of Engage Federal. To ensure our listeners can distinguish your voices, I will welcome you separately. Welcome, Corey. Hi, Shirley. Happy to be here. And Jillian, welcome to you. Hi, Shirley. Thanks so much for having me. We only briefly introduced you earlier, so Corey, tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Sure. So, as you stated previously, Shirley, I'm the Business Development Manager at BKM, which is a really great small business MEP design firm in Baltimore. Um, I'm ultimately responsible for managing and driving the business development efforts of the firm, um, and that's in accordance with our strategic plan goals and initiatives. This essentially involves me managing up, creating and maintaining business development plans, implementing business development training to our technical folks, among other responsibilities. And Jillian, I know you recently formed a new company. Tell our audience more about you and your new venture. Yes, that's right. I recently formed Engage Federal, which is a women-owned small business. And the goal of the company is twofold. First, we support our federal clients with upfront planning services prior to the design of a renovation or new construction project. So that might include requirements, development, site planning and studies, and then my real bread and butter, which is Department of Defense Form 1391 packages. And the second service is assisting other companies with their federal business development efforts. So that would be capture management, teaming strategies, and proposal writing, specifically in the SF-330 format. 
And Jillian, for those who are not familiar with the seller-doer model in professional services firms, explain what we're talking about. I think the most basic explanation is that a seller-doer is someone that has the responsibility of not only performing the work, but also bringing in the work, either uh, for themselves, but also for um, potentially for their teams. In my opinion, everyone in a company should have some sort of seller role. They need to advocate for the company. But some of that is very organic, growing business with existing clients, and some is more targeted, meaning that they are expanding the firm's portfolio. So that would include performing work for one client and realizing that you can provide those same services for a different client. I think the latter is harder to find the right people for. Okay, good, Jillian. Um, I want to stay with you for just a moment to explain to our audience why professional services firms choose the seller-doer business development model. Well, that's a great question to start with, isn't it? (laughs) I'm a strong believer in this model, so I see a lot of benefits. To me, the most obvious is that a seller-doer has the technical knowledge to discuss the exact needs of the client and also propose solutions, all while selling the capabilities of the company. So it gives many clients a level of comfort to have the person that's currently working on their project and hopefully performing well or approach them to discuss other ways their firm can support them. The second thing is that a seller-doer will also be able to represent the firm uh, in their resume in a proposal and attend the shortlist interviews. So they're actually a face that goes with the resume. Having said that, they should be able to successfully communicate the technical requirements as well as enthusiastically selling the firm when they are representing the company in those interviews. Third, if a seller-doer has the direct knowledge of the client, they can review the components of a statement of work or a solicitation and actually shape and define them if they have the opportunity to do so. I have an example from my past. Is it okay if I share that? Absolutely. All right. So I perform in a seller-doer role. And as a doer, I have an in-depth knowledge of the client's requirements because I work with them all the time. And as a seller, I have an understanding of their existing contracts and the upcoming recompete. So in this case, I had a client that was undergoing an effort to combine contract vehicles and they were reducing their total number. Therefore, they chose not to recompete the contract where my firm was the incumbent, which meant that I had to find a strong teaming partner because as a large firm, it's really hard to entice other large firms to use you. Because of my knowledge of being both a seller and a doer, I was able to identify a specific gap in service that my firm specialized in that wasn't going to be a part of the future contract. And by bringing this to the attention of the client, I was able to shape the solicitation language, adding that very specialized scope, which, oh, by the way, my company just happened to specialize in. (laughs) So we were able to find a large business team, and ultimately our team won, and we were able to get a piece of the contract. If I hadn't had the insider knowledge as a seller-doer, I wouldn't have been able to do that. That is extraordinarily valuable. Now, Corey, how does your firm utilize the seller-doer model? So, um, BCAM, we have about 50 employees, and we actually utilize a combination of both dedicated business development staff and seller-doers. Our approach is really that, that everyone is involved in business development from our administrative personnel to our engineers to our contract administrators, you know, and, and, and we really strive for our seller doers to spend at least 10% of their time on business development. Um, if they're a principal level, we strive for 20 to 25% of their time uh, spent on business development. 
our overarching approach to BD is that all the business development activities are driven and based upon our market sector business development plans, which are predicated on our firm-wide strategic plan goals and initiatives. Now, BKM has been in business for over 50 years now. How has the seller-doer model changed in the past, um, say, five years? And what is the future of the model in your firm? So I think most firms will agree that, you know, historically, uh, successful firms had about one or two rainmakers, you know, the technical folks that kind of brought in the majority of the work for their firms. Um, And then firms began to realize the benefits of having dedicated business development staff. I think in the last five years, it's it's pretty obvious the industry has gotten more and more competitive, and, and, and many disciplines, including engineering, have been commoditized. So, you know, we always ask the question, how do you differentiate your firm? And, you know, the number one way is firm culture, right? Um, and that directly relates to customer relations. And then we also have the approach that technical staff have the absolute most client contact, are in the best position to maintain clients. And you know, clients really want to talk to the staff that will be working with them day in and day out. So that being said, we also see that dedicated business development personnel are also needed now more than ever due to the increasing time demands on technical staff. So since our goal is for seller doers to spend at least 10% of their time marketing, that's 10% of their time that's not billable. So, you know, you still really need folks out there pounding the pavement and opening doors And as much as it's a communal effort and this mixed model that firms have dedicated BD staff with multiple seller doers is here to stay. That makes a lot of sense. I have often said that business development, especially in the federal marketplace, is a team sport. So given the long, complex sales cycle in the federal marketplace, does that change the calculus? Oh, absolutely. I think you even have to be more patient. You know, we all want immediate gratification and return on investment um, in this work environment. But, you know, in the federal marketplace, there are so many more factors that can work against you, um, including a a challenging procurement process, right? You've got your SF-330 density. You've got your set-asides, relevant experience. You also can't wine and dine federal clientele the same as you would private sector clients. So the rules of engagement change quite a bit. They sure do. I think those things you just mentioned, the long sales cycle and not being able to freely interact with your prospective client, is what shocks many business development people who come from the commercial side of the of the equation. Jillian, given these factors, in your opinion, what are the character traits of a successful professional in the seller-doer model? In my opinion, there typically are different traits that make successful sellers and doers. And it can vary quite a bit depending on what industry you're in, I'm sure. But in my world, I attend engineering professional organizations events as well as marketing and BD events. And the audience and atmosphere can be very different. In what ways, Jillian, are they different? Well, I'm speaking in broad generalizations. The most obvious differences are the interpersonal skills and the (laughs) methods of writing between the sellers and the doers. So, for example, at an engineering event, people might not be as comfortable walking into a room where they might not know people and engaging with strangers. And when they do get into conversations, they tend to talk more about their work or the technical nature of the event. But my experience, for example, at Society for Marketing Professional Services, an SMPS event, 
is that there's a different energy and buzz about the room. More people seem comfortable working the room and, you know, networking, and the topics are different. They understand that networking is more important than just talking about work. There's also a difference in the writing styles, and I say this from personal experience. Doers tend to be more technical, I believe, and sellers are more persuasive in their writing. That makes sense. Right. And then back to the traits that you asked about, I think a good seller-doer should have a mix of the traits I just mentioned. So they need to be comfortable with people and they need to be able to talk about the technical details, but they also need to be persuasive and enthusiastic. So I think a good seller-doer needs to master the art of multitasking. And it's hard to wear two hats, so it is difficult. Other words that come to mind when I think about sellers and doers are self-starters and goal-oriented and results-driven. And in my opinion, sometimes the seller-doer model doesn't work because firms may advance technical people into BD roles, regardless of their skills and inherent personality traits. That begs the question for you both. How do you encourage and prepare technical staff to become seller-doers? I can take that one, surely. Um, at BKM, we, we really emphasize that becoming a seller-doer is the fastest way for technical staff to advance in the company. Some you know, other benefits for the staff are they get to work on the projects that they want to work on. They get to work with the clients that they want to work with. They also get to work on whatever they bring to the table. So they can get excited about marketing and, and chasing projects that they want to work on. We also provide training and support to, to help them overcome any obstacles they may have in becoming seller-doers. So you know, we really try to create um, a sustainable business development culture that incorporates training, support, and also you know, rewards successes. I'll just add that I've worked with BKM in the past, and I think they have a wonderful model that they're following from a seller-doer, and I'm very impressed with the culture that they do um, put forward and the people that they bring to business development events. Um, I also couldn't agree more with Corey that training and support are key. It's also important to clearly understand the responsibilities and expectations if you're transitioning into a role as a seller-doer and how they may have changed from when you weren't dual-hatted. And then finally, I think, as with anything, having a strong mentor or an example of a successful seller-doer is invaluable. Those are excellent points. I have seen otherwise high-potential architects and engineers stall in their careers simply because they were not adequately prepared to take on the seller role. Corey, you are dedicated to business development. What does the seller-doer model mean for dedicated BD staff, and how does BD staff support the seller-doers? That's a, that's a really great question, Shirley, and, and it's something that um, even the Society of Marketing Professional Services tackled uh, in a publication a few years ago called AEC Business Development, The Decade Ahead. Um, so they did a study on the future of business development. And, and what they found is that relationships are, are still key and buyers, you know, our clients, still like the traditional ways of selling, um, which obviously bodes well for dedicated business development staff. The study also found that clients increasingly want to interact with seller doers, but find that those personnel many times lack the strong interpersonal and communication skills of dedicated business development staff, though... Jillian on the call here is is a pretty obvious exception to that. (laughs) So therefore, increasingly, I think 
dedicated business development staff are being utilized in mentorship and training roles within firms uh, to help manage the technical staff's business development efforts. I'd also like to mention, and, and I think I touched on it a little bit earlier, is that when, when firms are really busy cranking out projects and our technical staff you know, may not have that 10 to 20% time available to market new business, you know, when that happens, that staff's effort are best spent maintaining clients, right? That allows dedicated business developers to look for the new opportunities. I couldn't agree more with Corey, and I also appreciate you recognizing that I'm both an engineer and a people person, <laughs> making me an ideal seller doer. Um, but I'm seeing a trend throughout the conversation. We, again, are talking about the, the value of and the need for training and mentorship for seller doer roles. Well, you both are pretty extraordinary, <laughs> which is why I'm so pleased to be having this conversation with you. The next question is about results. How do you measure return on investment? Are there other analytics you track for the seller doers? I'll take this one uh, first, too. And I really think that the hardest thing to measure in business development is ROI. You know, we, we've tried some things here at BKM to help promote the seller doer and, and tracking and, and the analytic perspective. So uh, one of the first things we've done is we've incorporated BD in our annual reviews and we've created personal business development plans for our seller doers. Uh, as part of those plans, you know, we, we, we sit down with the seller doer and, and we agree on what we think are reasonable and attainable goals and, and the goals that are also measurable, right? And they're typically pass-fail. Also, it's, I think it's important to note that the goals that we, we set with our seller doers aren't set in stone, so to speak. So we know that many times we need to be flexible. For example, you know, and it's happened before, we may be targeting a client that, that we learn, you know, through our networks doesn't pay on time and doesn't pay for ad services. So then we kind of take another look at that client and say, is this somebody we really want to pursue? So we have to be flexible with those plans. Um, some other metrics are, you know, we track hit rates, our project profitability. Um, and we've recently begun to track and measure the lifetime value of a client, which will help us manage and project future business development resources. And in that project profitability, do you take into consideration all of the BD costs that were attributable to that specific project, or is it an across-the-board allocation for business development, marketing, and other indirect costs? You know, we've had those discussions, um, but our firm really hasn't gotten to that point yet. We are just beginning to track business development costs per market sector. We really haven't gone into tracking business development costs per project pursuit, though we do track marketing costs, um, essentially with the proposal side. So we'll use our market sector indirect costs this year to help budget for future years. Yeah, that makes sense. We need to take a break. My guests today are Corey Rubling, BD Manager at BKM, and Jillian Breeden, Founder and President of Engage Federal. When we come back, we will discuss what colleges are doing to prepare students for the seller-doer role. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Today's discussion is brought to you by scale to market and your host is Shirley Collier. Utilizing the proprietary Davey Business Development Growth Framework, scale to market partners with business owners and executives to help their companies achieve profitable and sustainable growth in the federal marketplace. 
Email Shirley at scollier at scaletomarket.com to obtain your copy of the Davy Growth Framework. Growth Masters Federal is a nationwide community of growth-oriented government contractors, their owners and executive teams, and the professionals who support them. The mission is to share experiences and discuss timely topics on planning and executing the most effective growth strategies in the complex, highly regulated, but opportunity-rich federal marketplace. And now back to our discussion of the doer seller business development model with Shirley Collier and her guests for today's program, Corey Rubling and Jillian Breeden. Welcome back. So, Jillian, given that the seller-doer role is so prevalent in industry, do you feel that colleges and universities prepare their professional students to serve in that role once they graduate? No. No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) At least not in my experience. Um, There was no mention of business development or sales in my engineering curriculum, and I had to learn and develop those skills on my own once I was actually in my career and many years into my career, actually, sadly. Um, When I was in school, I did a cooperative education program, so I co-opted where I alternated work semesters and school terms. And in doing that, I realized that I did want a more diverse education because I actually wanted to broaden my opportunities beyond the firm that I had co-opted for. So I took extra classes to get concentrations in other areas, uh, specifically in business and environmental engineering, because those were topics that interested me. That was my first indicator that I had a more diverse set of interests, maybe, than my engineering classmates. And so that's what I think makes me a stronger seller-doer, is that I have both the technical capability, but also I have the business and interpersonal skills to be comfortable selling. And then the real indicator is that I love it. I enjoy doing the business development part of things. And surely there are other engineering and architecture students that would have those same interests. So how do you think colleges and universities should change their curriculum? That's a good question. And again, I'm only going off of my experience, but I would suggest having more career counseling to evaluate students' interests and guide them in the different ways that they may be able to apply their degree. Um, For example, sales or innovation or management or even nonprofit or community work. I also think that students should be required to take some introductory business classes because really, most college graduates are going to be working for a business, so they should be equipped to understand it at the most basic level. And again, these are just my observations based on my experience, so I'm sure and I hope that there are schools and programs that already have these types of services and offer a diverse curriculum. I'd like to jump in and add one thought to that. I think it's really interesting that college and universities don't necessarily provide you know, business training for what we would staff, architects, engineers. Um, they also don't necessarily teach professional services, marketing, and business development. At least they did it 15 years ago. Um, they typically teach marketing, you know, for a product, usually widgets, right? So I think it's really important then to gain some marketing and business development training from other sources, like SMPS, for instance. So if there are colleges listening and you have addressed this professional readiness in your curriculum, I welcome your input. I want to end, Corey and Jillian, with your collective advice to firms and to individuals. Let's start with recommendations to firms that are looking to either implement or to improve a seller-doer model. 
Oh, yes. I can go first here because I have a few recommendations to, <laughs> to mention. Um, the first thing is have a strong business model and share the vision and empower your people because most staff will naturally be sellers if they enjoy their work and they believe in the firm that they work for. Item number two would be to provide training for those that need to be stretched in order to take on the seller role. Three might would be to include and prepare staff early in their careers. So don't just wait until people get to senior management in order to bring them into the seller do a role. Four, I think, would be encouraging and fostering the professionals that have the skills and desires to be seller and doers. It can be more difficult to wear both hats. So you need to provide them the support, the training, the mentorship, and the appreciation that they are in that role because they are bringing work to the firm. And then fifth goes a little outside the box. I would say that you should think beyond the typical doer because most seller-doer models start where the person is a doer and then they gain seller responsibilities. However, if there is a seller that has potential for project work, give them the chance. Integrate them where you can. I was recently exposed to a consultant of ours where their full-time business development person also performs the initial project management actions. So he scheduled the kickoff meeting and reviewed the scope with the whole team and the schedule as well with all parties. And I was surprised by that method. I had not seen that before. But it truly allowed the project to transition seamlessly from contract signature to kickoff and then beyond, setting us all up for success. I never thought of people migrating from business development to billable work. That's really interesting. Jillian, what about the professionals who are excellent technically, but never in a million years would want to be involved in business development? How should companies ensure that these people don't feel ostracized because they don't have the aptitude or interest in business development? I think that's a great question that not many firms have figured out yet, and I think they're grappling with it in the AEC industry. But my suggestion would be that firms should have multiple career paths. So that might include technical and management and then BD and marketing. And each of those paths would have clearly defined expectations and roles and responsibilities. So an incredibly skilled technical person would have a path where they can be successful without taking on the roles of a seller that might not be their interest or their strength area. And the same is true for management, but that's a topic for a different podcast. <laughs> Those are really all great points, Julian. And if, if I can add something, surely, um, many times I get this from technical staff. They say, you know, they're, they think that they will never be good at business development. And, and typically what I tell them is, you know, we trust you to manage projects. If you can manage a project and manage a client, then you can do business development you're essentially using the same tools for both. You're communicating regularly, right? You have to have some interpersonal skills that go beyond just the project needs. So I think that's important to stress to people that think that they will never be good at business development. And Corey, I want to go back to the previous question for you. What advice do you have for firms that want to improve their seller-doer model? Sure. So I think it's important uh, to note that if the model is to be successful, it really needs to have buy-in from the top, right? So the firm president, officers, principals, whoever's at the top, like not only do they need to be modeling seller-doer behavior, they also have to prioritize it and encourage it. So 
you know, I recommend including business development in job descriptions. You know, that way employees are evaluated on their business development work uh, in performance evaluations and event annual reviews. That being said, and, and repeating what Jillian just stated, you need to give your technical staff obtainable and realistic business development goals and also support them along the way. For our firm, you know, as, as much as I'm the driver of business development, technical folks really need to take ownership, right? I'm not always telling them what business development activities to do. They need to take the initiative. They need to grow their network, and they need to bring in leads. So I think it's important to stress um, that they take that initiative. That makes a lot of sense also, Corey. And I want to underscore something that you said, and that is that the firm president, officers, and principals, the managers of the company, should model the behavior because that's sometimes the best way for younger, less experienced professionals to see how it's really done. Absolutely. Very important. Uh, And Corey, what advice would you give to individuals that are new to the seller-doer role? So I would say that if you're new to the role, um, and let's say you feel that you lack the soft skills necessary, I would recommend you go take some training. And I think most firms would support, quote, sales training, right? Um, In fact, when I was first starting in this industry, I took a Dale Carnegie course, and, and that course has stuck with me to this day. Right, I still use the skills I learned in that course in my everyday job. Also, I heard a great recommendation at a seminar a couple years ago, uh, which was to take an improv class. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great suggestion. You know, when you do a class like that, it really gets you to push your limits and to grow. Um, I'd like to add a couple more points, actually. So additionally, I think for folks that are new to the seller-doer role, then you really need to make business development part of their routine. Let's break it down and look at it. So if 10% of your work week is spent on BD activities, that's typically, what, four to six hours of your time, right? And that seems like a good bit of time. But let's say you go to two networking events during the week. So you've already almost reached that 10% in those two networking events. Add in a client meeting and some correspondence, and then you get to the 10%. So I try to convey to our technical staff to spend 15 minutes every morning, you know, typically with their cup of coffee, to send out emails, look at LinkedIn, work on a blog post, follow up with folks they met from an event the night previously, all those kinds of activities. Um, For example, we have one associate here at our firm that spends two to three hours every Friday afternoon on his business development activities because he identified that that time frame is what works best for him and his schedule. The last piece of advice I would give uh, to those that are new to the the seller-doer role is to find a mentor outside of your firm. You know, find somebody that is a successful seller-doer that works in different disciplines. If you're a sub-consultant, for instance, you know, perhaps one of your architect clients is an outstanding seller-doer. So not only are you strengthening the client relationship you have, you're also gleaning significant insight from an experienced seller-doer. I couldn't agree more on all the points that Corey just mentioned as recommendations or advice for an individual. Um, To follow up on his point about training, um, SMPS is having a seller-doer symposium. So if that's something that, you know, a new seller-doer is coming in, um, they might want to look that up. I believe it's in Washington, D.C., 
potentially in July, but don't quote me. Look it up. <laughs> um, the other things that I think uh, or would recommend for a new seller doer is if you're moving into the transition, you need to evaluate long-term success rather than short-term deliverables where you might get those successes along the way with a project. As a new seller, you might realize quickly that there will be many rejections along the way. So don't get discouraged, first and foremost. Also, I think as a doer, people tend to focus on the team of companies that they currently work with. And as a seller, I think you need to look beyond those firms and get past the usual suspects, if you will, you need to start building relationships with a multitude of teaming partners that match your target agencies because the point is you want to find the winning team, not just the typical team. And finally, I would say that it's extremely difficult to balance the daily deadlines um, of being a doer with the long-term business development efforts, as Corey has just mentioned, and trying to have some goals of the number of hours each week. That's amazing. That's great that BKM put some structure behind it like that. Um, I've seen a lot of times that project managers in the doer role will put BD, their seller role, on the back burner. But if you do that, it can go completely stale unless you recognize that those efforts are incredibly important too and someone helps you and holds you accountable to keeping that ball rolling. So I think it's really important to treat business development the same as a project with a schedule and deadlines and accountability and in my experiences, that's not always the mindset I've seen. And that makes so much sense. Both of you emphasize the need for structure and discipline. And in, in your professions, both of you, uh, you, it's a very structured, disciplined profession. So I would think that adding a disciplined approach to that structure should not be much of a stretch for those professionals. So excellent advice from you both. Thank you for sharing your perspectives and your experiences in this very challenging phenomenon that affects professional services firms of all sizes and types. Folks, if you would like to get in touch with Jillian, she can be reached at jbreeden at engagefederal.com. That's J-B-R-E-E-D-E-N at E-N-G-A-G-E, federal, F-E-D-E-R-A-L.com. And Corey can be reached at krubling at bkma.com. That's K-R-U-B-E-L-I-N-G at bkma.com. Or you can reach out to us here at Scale2Market, and we'll make sure you're connected. This is Shirley Collier, signing off for now. Thank you for joining us today. For more information on how to grow your business in the federal marketplace, visit our website at scaletomarket.com. That's scale2market.com. And subscribe to the Growthmasters Federal channel wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our webinar series on the Scale to Market website. Join us again soon for another informative Growthmasters Federal podcast. And have a great day. Growthmasters.